I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we watched Disney's Oliver and Company. This movie is loosely based on Charles Dickens' novel Oliver Twist, and it was released on the same day as The Land Before Time, the original one, uh, from 1988. It was a box office success, but it received mixed reviews from critics. And during the opening weekend, Land Before Time debuted as number one, grossing $7.5 million, while this debuted in fourth place, grossing $4 million. But uh, ultimately, Oliver & Company outgrossed Land Before Time with a total gross in the U.S. and Canada of $53 million, compared to Land Before Time's $46 million. Mm, so, okay. yeah, it kind of depends on how you want to look at it, which was more successful, but it certainly wasn't a just... Um, clear victory for disney um like the next time the two butted heads would be also if you recall that uh disney had a long-standing tradition of re-releasing their movies in theaters after a period of time um that probably ended in the 90s um in march of 1996 disney re-released this movie in direct competition with all dogs go to heaven 2 which feels a little bit like kicking something while it's down because <laughs> like i mean yeah um but you know all dogs go to heaven do didn't even actually have don bluth involved or anything and that's well we reviewed that movie yeah <laughs> um so yeah who would like to do a brief spoiler free plot synopsis of this film and if you say it's oliver twist then that's, that's not incorrect. helpful. That's just incorrect. <laughs> it does also that, yes. But I was also just distracted by her little hands, hand movements to, to do all of that. It was very cute. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> okay, this movie is, yeah, mostly about Oliver. We start with him, and he's a part uh He's a little cat. Well, he's a kitten uh, with a box of, assumedly, his siblings. I don't know. Who are just in a box saying free kittens need a home, something like that. And we see that he is the last kitten in the box after all of his siblings are picked up by people who want cats. He almost washes away in a rainstorm. Uh, he has to find a, a dry place to stay. And the next day is just trying to figure out what to do. Uh, when looking for food, he comes across Dodger. And, uh, he's a dog. Yes. And after Dodger uses him to get some food, Oliver follows Dodger to his home with other dogs. And Oliver becomes kind of part of their crew, uh, who is headed by, uh, this man. Fagin. Fagin. And we learn that Fagin has a debt to this guy Sykes. And as a part of trying to to get something to pay down this debt, the Oliver meets Jenny, and ends up being adopted by Jenny, who's a little girl. Yes, um, the crew thought that that Oliver was taken to uh, I don't know get hassled because they were trying to run a um, what is it a scam yeah of some, yeah run a scam scam on the car that she was in, but actually he was just living living his life, and so. They took Oliver back uh, to the crew, and he's like, nope, she's my family now. Uh, but that gets Jenny pulled into 
Fagin's debt and yeah. Well, you just got to watch the rest of the movie. That's spoilers. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. Um what did y'all think of this movie? I enjoyed it. It was cute. Yeah, it was there were enjoyable parts uh like talking through the the spo- the uh the plot and, and even while thinking about it. Uh-huh. The structure was very non-standard, I guess. Um so messy, like- I would say. <laughs> So, like, from that perspective, it was weak, but, but like, there were en- enjoyable parts. So, yeah, I remember enjoying it, and I, I did watching it now. Going into it, my memory was that it was okay. I was right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's okay. It's nowhere near Disney's weakest feature, and it's also nowhere near their strongest. Um, it was surprisingly messy to me, I think, actually. Valerie and I talked beforehand of, of like, you could potentially compare it some to All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, given that there's there's some found family stuff going on and, like, a little girl involved and stuff like that. And uh, it, it's surprisingly... It's surprisingly closer to All Dogs Go to Heaven in terms of mess <laughs> than I anticipated for a Disney film, I would say. Uh, in a lot of ways. It's interesting. I do think it is altogether more competently told than All Dogs Go to Heaven. But I think I'm also correct in what I said before to you, babe, of I think I would probably rather watch All Dogs Go to Heaven than watch this again. Um, what are the 3D movies with the dog? And and they've got, I don't know, they have this one dog that ends up I don't know, in the second of the two, there's a rabbit, and, and they get into a gang. Is it called, like, the dog movie? No, it's called... No, yeah, that doesn't sound... No, it's not the dog movie. Is it? Is it Pets? Pets, yes. We've never... I've never seen that. Okay. Yeah, what are you talking okay, about? Okay, well, so, so sorry. <laughs> what I... Similarly to you saying you feel like it was a more competent story overall than the telling of All Dogs Go to Heaven, I also feel like it is a more engaging and competent story than pets because i've seen both of those that's the oh that's illumination right mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's yeah. not surprising that disney at their most average is more competent than illumination <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not surprising yeah. um sorry if you're a fan of illumination uh they've made one good movie sorry um, I, I don't know why you're apologizing do you think somebody's gonna come at you because of what you just said i hope they do come at me if you're an ardent like support like you're like the minions movie is one of the best animated do films you, ever do you think the uh minions fans translate to just watching the whole illumination like catalog I think they're just like, no, I I think there are definitely Illumination fans that are just like, these are like lowest common denominator movies that I don't have to think watching competent animation. Like, yeah, I love these. I think there are people like that. Yeah, I love these. Yeah. (laughs) Mom loves Sing. I don't love it. Mom liked Sing a lot. I I mean, liking it, it. enjoying it. That's one thing. Did you like Pets? I... Not even as much. Oh as yeah, Sing. not as much as Sing. Yeah, and yeah. What other ones have you seen? Have you seen? I think did I saw you see Pets the Grinch too. one? I think did I? I might have. 
Have not you seen like, the original Despicable Me? That's the one that is yes, an actual yes. good movie. Yeah, that was good. Yes. That and then was there's good. like two other ones. And, and, I don't know if I watched, and I don't know if I watched all of the other ones. I want to say I wanted, I saw it. Do you know they own the Shrek now? One. No, I didn't. Yeah, we're going to be getting Illumination Shrek at some point. Oh, goodness gracious. I'll probably cut a bunch of this. Um, yeah, no, it's it's decently competently told, but... Again, just less so than I expected from Disney. Uh, and I'll get into that. But uh, yeah, I lightly recommend it. It's fine. Yeah, I think I, I recommend it also. Let's get specific. By which I mean production notes. <laughs> this was the first Disney film to begin production under the supervision of then-CEO Michael Eisner and studio chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg. After the release of The Black Cauldron, Eisner and Katzenberg invited the animators to pitch potential ideas for upcoming animated features, infamously called The Gong Show. And uh, after Black Cauldron, the next movie released was Great Mouse Detective, but that wasn't pitched after the Black Cauldron that had already been decided that they were going to make that film beforehand. Mm -hmm. So that did have like guiding hands from kind of Eisner and Katzenberg to an extent, but it, it wasn't like a full idea that was under their kind of supervision. After Ron Clements had pitched The Little Mermaid and Treasure Island in space, story artist Pete Young suggested Oliver Twist with Dogs. Katzenberg, who had previously planned uh, on producing a live-action adaptation of the musical Oliver at Paramount, approved the pitch. <laughs> There's an exclamation mark. That's why I had to say Oliver like that. I know, but just the <laughs> thought of, like, this guy doing his passion project, like... This is my shot. I can try it. And then some person probably coming in and like reading the room of like, okay, he did this. All right. The thing that he was working on, but family friends, like, but dogs. But dogs. And he like, <laughs> yes, brilliant. Let's go. Right. <laughs> really sad. Just like, yeah, and one it's like, day. one day I'll get Treasure Island in space. Yeah. And one day they did. <laughs> very, very sad and funny. At least he got Little Mermaid, like, very, like, they were probably being worked out at the same time. Mm. Um, under the working title of Oliver and the Dodger, the film was originally much darker and grittier, with uh, the film opening with Sykes's two Dobermans murdering Oliver's parents, <gasps> setting the story to focus on Oliver exacting his revenge, oh, geez, as me. detailed in a draft from 1987, Jeez. a year before the movie came out. Jeez. <laughs> so... That could, it could have been different, is all I'm saying. Uh, Roy like that was already sad at the beginning. Right? Uh, Roy E. Disney at one point came up with an idea that Fagin would attempt to steal a rare panda from the city zoo. However, the writers had problems with this idea, and the panda subplot was eventually dropped when Scribner suggested to have Fagin hold Oliver for ransom because he was a valuable rare Asian cat, which then got further simplified into hold him ransom because you think that his owner is rich. So Yeah, I think that was fine. Yeah, like yeah. that 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 worked pretty well and lo like made logical sense and stuff. Yeah. I don't know how you would have shoehorned a panda in there. Right, because the thing with the panda is like, okay, you steal it and then what? Yeah, I don't know. You're going to be like, hey, do you want to buy this panda? And like, do you mean the panda that's been on the news? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about um, the story and characters and stuff. I just want to say that mom was very upset that it was raining on Oliver in the box. Yes. That was, was very sad. So it was sad. sad. It was so sad. Because, I mean, you know, gosh, 
They set it up, and it was just so sad and dramatic because not only was he the last little kitten, but then all of a sudden it cuts to start nighttime, and then the rain's coming down, and then they slowly pan in the box, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is he still in the box? And yes, and then the box is getting filled up, and and the only reason he got out and didn't drown is because the box fell apart. Because it but was then he covered. almost got swooped into the drain. Oh, it was so sad. And then he got chased by some really mean dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. They were horrible. He had a rough time. Yeah. He did. And how can any of those dumb people walking by leave a little kitten in a box? Easily. A it's New York. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, it was like right by somebody's house. It's like, who put the box there? Was it them? Or they're just like, oh, darn, another cat box. Like, can't deal with this. So sad. Dodger needs to not be a creep towards snooty dog ladies. Oh, I know. That was annoying. Yeah, didn't didn't appreciate that. I would be really concerned as a pedestrian if I just saw animals jumping all over cars. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you hear the thunking. Yes. You Maybe. hear the thunking and like they're singing, which I assume just translates to them howling. Mm-hmm. So like they're not like silent silent while they're doing this, you know? They're jumping on cars and barking. I would be very concerned. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, I like Tito just vibing to his music. Mm-hmm. When Francis said, good job, Einstein, it sounded like he was insulting that the dog, but uh, that's just Einstein's name. But like <laughs> at this point, Einstein is like, he's like, yeah, good job, Einstein. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> but I don't know if that was... In vogue then, back then, and so, but it's, it's just the name of the dog. But the name of the dog is supposed to be ironic because he's stupid. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the cast was just a little too big. It was. Uh, Einstein could have not been there, and nothing would have changed. And, and yeah. Rita too. At Rita some point had got, some use in the beginning, right? At some point, she got shifted out. Yeah, uh, because Bette Midler was. Was there. Yeah, but Einstein literally never mattered, even a little bit. He was big. Yeah. Not needed. There was not a situation where it's like, oh, we really need someone big for this. Other than standing up to the Dobermans Dobermans, and he thunks the the side of the the... uh, the cars. The what? Whenever he's like, we need a hit and run. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you could easily have had a different dog. Like, that's not that important in this grand scheme of things. So 30 minutes, okay, so the first like five minutes or so is meeting Oliver in his unfortunate circumstance. Mm -hmm. Then the next like 25 minutes is meeting Dodger and the gang and Fagin. And And Sykes. And Sykes. And then 30, and his Dobermans. Mm -hmm. um, And then 30 minutes into the movie, we finally meet Jenny and there's like 47 minutes left of the movie. Yeah. And we still, at that point, haven't met all the principal characters because we haven't even met Georgette. <laughs> and I just... I just feel like there are pacing problems in this movie. Maybe their priorities for the story that they wanted to tell were skewed. Because then he does meet Jenny and like the... Then there's a montage, and, like, that's not a great way of showing a bond forming between characters, especially after we just had Oliver forming a bond with a whole cast of characters over the course of, like, almost half an hour. 
now it's like, here's like five minutes in like a montage. And so now Oliver cares a whole lot about this little girl that you just met. And it just doesn't work super well for me. Um, Yeah, and I think in the structure of the story, it's like, okay, we need to take time to show the montage with Jenny and Oliver being together. And then we cut to the crew and they're like, oh, where is he? Or like something happened or like, oh, you know, they're reacting to it. But the length of time that has passed is a bit unclear. And it's like, okay, why didn't you try to go find him until now? Because it feels like you had to wait until the montage is over. And then you jump in with that time having already passed. I think I think the problem here is that going from introing a character to the character, meeting a whole new cast of characters and becoming part of their crew, to then immediately like going and like having this new lifestyle is too many things. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie needed to just start with, for some reason, Fagan's given a cat. And so we have the beginning of the movie... You see that Oliver is with this group and they and they are chummy chummy. And then he meets this other thing and goes into the new lifestyle. Like the fact that we have to have this long intro to who Dodger is and Oliver getting ingratiated into the gang is like, it's too long. Mm-hmm. You need to just plop Oliver with the gang, show a bit of time of, of like, He's been there for a couple months and and they are all friends now. We see that Sykes is evil and all that. And then he meets Jenny. It should not take 30 minutes. <laughs> and it takes 30 minutes because we start with him in a box to show how sad and alone he is. And then he meets Dodger and then he meets the others. And they're like, who is this? And then he goes and then he meets Fagan and we see what Fagan's deal is. And then they go and they're trying to do a job. And then he meets Jenny. It's too too much. It's just too much. And you could have easily excised some of it is the, is the problem and made it just work better. Cause I don't, I don't care about Jenny. I meet her too late in the film. She's not very interesting. And I don't genuinely feel like her and Oliver have the same sort of bond that I feel like Oliver has with these other characters because of the length of time that those sets have been together, which is a problem when you then have the scene where Oliver's like, no, I want to go back. And, and Dodger's like so hurt and betrayed because I'm clearly supposed to be more on Oliver's side, but I'm more on Dodger's side because it feels like they should matter more to Oliver than Jenny does. It feels like it's like, but I had it real nice. And that's what I want to go back to rather than I care about this girl, you know? I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think I, I get why you would feel more on Dodger's side. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like Dodger's totally right, but I feel like Dodger saying that like you basically accusing him of you like the life, the cushy life that you just got and you, and you don't care enough about uh, your family compared to that rings more true than Oliver being like, no, I care about this girl because I've seen them form a bond over a montage. That's not enough for me to have emotional resonance with that. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I, you definitely see the bond with like Dodger and Oliver and like getting the nod from Rita that it's like, Oh, that Dodger lets is letting Oliver sleep with him is a, is a big deal or something novel. 
But, but yeah, I, I think they're relying on, on audience perception a lot because you see yeah. Jenny read the letter and it's like, oh, she's lonely because her parents aren't going to be there. They're not even going to be there for her birthday. And so that does some of the work of why she would, you know, want a companion and her like babying or like treating Oliver so well as a, just like, you know, a, a friend and, and something to love. Yeah, but it's kind of like the problem of her circumstance compared to like, she kind of just comes off as a spoiled dumb kid because she has a big place where she lives with a butler and she has a dog that she could already be giving love to. And yes, we get that the dog is like spoiled, but like she has that. So it's just I kind think... of like, I I get that the, the, it's the, there's the parental neglect there, but it's just well, kind of. And, and to me, it feels like the dog isn't her dog. It's her, it's her parents' dog. Sure. And, and it's a show dog that's not like a play dog. I think that, mm. I honestly, in a kid's movie, I think that needs to be emphasized more. Like, I just don't feel like I can put myself enough in Jenny's shoes to understand why she's doing something so stupid as going out oh. at night with just her dog, not saying anything to her butler. Like, you just met this cat yesterday. Yeah. You, you get it? It just makes it feel like the only reason she's doing it is because she's young and dumb. Right. Rather than because there's a legitimate bond there that matters. See, what I what, while you were talking about it, I think it would have been... It would have been cool if Jenny had seen Oliver in the box, wanted to... And the, and then he's like, no, we can't. Exactly. Yes, agreed. And then she goes to get him back, or, she, or maybe they say, like, yes, you can have him. And she goes to get him, and he's not there anymore. Yeah. And then they meet in the circumstance, and then she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, that, this, yeah. is, this is meant to be. 100%. And so I think that, oh, that's, just a little bit really of that. Smart. Yeah, because then she wouldn't have been sooner. introduced... 30 minutes into yeah. the movie and yeah that already would have added to the to the idea of their bond a lot more well another idea that i had while you guys are, are talking is that one is that that they had the timeline of this was way too short and that was dumb because they <laughs> three set days. It up, again th- th- this whole thing transpired in three days and it was way too much action for three days and the other you could have even met even if you started with the box like we were talking about and met the crew and not in, introduced Sykes and not had the timeline of him having to pay back yet and just like get to know the gang you know and, and the crew and then at some point when they're doing something then you know find out that there's a dad and then then put a timeline but there needed to be more time there needed to be more time with Oliver with the gang, there needed to be more time with Oliver with Jenny, all of that. And yeah, you could have remedied that in bringing in Sykes later. Yeah, and it's kind of just weird to have a montage set over the course of a day. Because yeah. we were just kind of like, how much time is passing? Is it literally a day? And then later with like the timeline that Sykes gave Fagan, yeah. we were able to determine that, yeah, it was like literally a day, which is... Yeah. It's just... Well, again, he was with the gang for a day and, yeah. with, and with Jenny for a day. He was with so the gang the- for a day, but in terms of our watch time, yes. he was with them for 25 minutes. Right. 
compared to like 10 with but, Jenny. But that's what I'm saying is it's it just the, the whole timeline was just ridiculous. Yeah. I think you, it, you, you show him in the box, you show Jenny wanting him and not being able to have him. Then he's like picked up or something somehow quickly put him in Fagin's hands. And so he like Fagin's like, Oh, little kitty. And he wants to take care of him. And he joins the gang like quickly not like a whole extended solo meeting Dodger and all that have a quick thing there. And then like a good, like 20 minutes of them bonding. That's where you can show exactly the kind of dude Dodger is. He can sing his song, all that crap. Like you you do that then. And, and then you can even show Jenny a little bit into that, like trying to go back to the box and Oh, he's gone. Like, yeah, just the structure yeah, because, is, I mean, t- yeah, is there's, bad. There's so much I could have done without. And again, I didn't need to see the whole prolonged scene with getting the sausage and, and, and the Dodger song and all of that. I think they were trying to I mean, just you have to have show- the song in there, obviously. Yeah, but, like- but, but you could have had... I don't know, without the whole prolonged thing. And even with oh, all the dogs could, and stuff chasing the cat. It could literally just be like him showing his philosophy to Oliver on like Oliver's first day on the job. Yeah. And then like they have their first day and then the second day Streets of Gold plays. <laughs> like, you know, like you yeah. can do them just two separate days. Like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I think they were trying to just showcase Billy Joel, kind of the kind of thing oh, where yeah. we have stars and, you know, and this and that. Yeah, I mean, we watched that like six minute thing and it definitely emphasized like the fact that you've got these different contemporary artists contributing music to it. And that's definitely mm-hmm. a big part of, yeah. of kind of their marketing push. But yeah, I would say that just what we have discussed here is the big problems with this, because otherwise you have an interesting story I I liked most all of the characters i mean and not that i really disliked other characters but there were some characters that really had no real purpose that you yeah rita ended up getting phased out as the story went on and einstein was kind of never useful um yeah yeah and then sykes was just a really weak villain yeah he and i don't know that he necessarily needs to be much stronger but i think you have him and you have the dogs and there's not I think just you, choose one I think like I get why you want to have a, a human, human level yeah. and a dog level but at the very least have it just be one dog have it just be the one that actually talks with them because uh, the other DeSoto like does nothing this whole movie <laughs> like have Roscoe it's just him and have Roscoe basically just be an extension of Sykes like if you have this kind of understanding that they're almost the same character, just these two different levels, I feel like that works a little better. Possibly. Uh, yeah. And I, they don't necessarily need to be that strong if your focus isn't really on the villainy, but is more on this fan family than if you have a, a comparatively weak villain that's threatening that family, that's still going to work well enough. Like Sykes doesn't necessarily need to be more than he is. Um, but the story needs to work better to where you like can feel Fagin's desperation and stuff better. And you, and you feel the threat to this family better. I don't know. It just, the pieces are. Yeah. With the way that it was, it's like, you want, you can't have Fagin do something so irredeemable and you can't have him being in debt to Sykes from something so irredeemable. It was really vague. So do we know what why he was in debt no, to begin with? No, and but yeah. but my concern is if you 
have Sykes come in closer to the end, it's like, okay, what happens to Fagin such that he is in, like, he has that debt to Sykes if it's so near the end? I think you can have him be in debt to Sykes from the beginning, but you just kind of hear about it. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of hear about it. or And, like, the dogs have this understanding that, like, Fagin leaves sometimes and he comes back and he's more, like, messed up and he's more panicked. And he's like, we've really got to get stuff this time, guys. Like, you can kind of have that without really focusing on who Sykes is until later. You can even hear his name and stuff. Like... I don't know if that would work. I'm just, like, as an antagonist, if it's near the end, it would just feel shoehorned in, I think. I think I think there's ways that you can do it without showing him super early that build up to him. But, Possibly. Yeah. But but as as it is now, like not talking hypotheticals, I still think uh first of all the way that he said three days was a lot. Three I days, three nights, three days, Fagan. Three sunrises or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, three sunrises. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yes, that's it, that's yeah. it. And yeah, not so even nine, days and nights, so sunrises. like nine? No, three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was extra, but not in a way that felt added to the character. It was weird. Um, and then that he accepted that i don't know he was he was just a a weak character overall i think yeah it feels like yeah i feel like to have him have the menace that he should have we need a better idea of why him and fagin are interacting at all because like fagin is so uh, goofy and like ineffectual and like Seems like such a why would anyone with any sort of respect deal with this guy? Yeah, and that was the other thing. It's like, because he's so ineffectual, why would he be talking to the head guy? He would be talking to, like, two or three levels down. That's what the dog is for. The dog is, like, sent. And maybe there's even a goon that's with the dog. But, like, the dog is, like, the face to the other dogs. And, like, they are sent. And it's, like, the big man is, like... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that was part of it, was that it's like, why is this guy who seems to be the head dude even talking to Fagin? He wouldn't. He would like, he wouldn't be there to... Get his hands on as he does later. Right, or, or even just talk to him on the bridge to his crappy home. Like, it would be somebody who's like, Sykes says this, and they would be like, okay, you're just as menacing as Sykes would be, uh, essentially, because, like, I can't do anything. Like... That was also a sticking point for me. Yeah. Well, and too, as if he was as bad as they say, there would have been a consequence, you know. Yeah. They would have beat him up or something. Because even all dogs I go think to they wanted him to be... Did the, did the beat up thing. Like, you know, would yeah. they like, you know... I mean, Carface literally kills Charlie in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> like... Yeah, there's literally murder that happens in that movie. I Honestly, I feel like Sykes is a remnant of the darker tone that they were originally going for. Yeah. I feel like that's the only real way that he kind of makes sense is that his his violence and menace w- should have been more to make sense with who he is. Mm-hmm. And I, I this might be... This is in spoilers, but it's a. I don't think it's consequential fully. In in spoilers, he's on a call. 
for nothing for the film. It's just for like environment and like to show how menacing he is. He's like, oh, you start with the knuckles and and he's just talking some other stuff. And he's like, and then the concrete shoes. Yeah. And it's and, like, he's basically giving advice to a goon or something, Yes, and, but we never see other people working for him. Yes. It's just this empty building, which again, that's all in spoilers, but, but yeah, like it's, it's not fully fleshed out. And so it, it, it rings hollow. Just just the more you think about it. Yes. Let's talk some about voice acting. So um, Dodger was, vo- was, of course, voiced by Billy Joel. Uh, Joel confirmed that he accepted the part because it was a Disney movie, saying, I had just had a little girl. It's a great way to do something that my little girl could see that she could relate to right away. So, yeah, that's a pretty common reason that <laughs> celebrities decide, decide to do... Animated movies. Yeah. Tito is voiced by Cheech Marin, who said that he was encouraged to ad lib with the character. He said, but I'd say I just gave about 75% of the lines as they were written. The natural energy of a chihuahua played right into that feeling. George Scribner was very encouraging as a director. He kept the energy level high at the recording sessions. I think he did a really good job. Yeah, Cheech did a great job. The combo of, of what he was saying with how the dog was acting and like, the uh, the stereotype chihuahua stereotype of like acting like a big dog yeah when yeah it's not it felt it felt there definitely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then Francis Valerie's maybe favorite I love is Francis voiced Lee. by uh, Roscoe Lee Brown who we've heard before in a movie he voiced Mister Arrow in Treasure Planet oh okay mm. okay okay uh, I also just want to to call out that Bette Midler was just great in this. <laughs> Winston, bark, bark, bark. Like, her barks were so funny every time. Just the most, like, fake bark imaginable, but it feels so perfect for the character. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like a voice actor's doing a bad job at a dog bark. It feels like this dog constantly doing fake barks to get attention, which is what is the case. Yes. <laughs> it's It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, but she is introduced more than 30 minutes into the movie, but she it definitely has a very big presence. She's fun. Yeah. Yeah, she's one of the most memorable ones. And like, because yeah, I've, of course, I've seen this film before. And yeah, I remember the I remember there's Poodle. I remember Cheech as the uh, How Chihuahua. can you forget? Yeah, like those are the main ones I remember. And I know there's the cat. Uh, yeah, like they yeah. give great performances. Uh, Did you care to say who Finnegan was or anything like that? Finnegan? Or Fagan, sorry. Oh, yeah. Fagan is Dom DeLuise, who um, at this point is getting particularly well known for being in Don Bluth movies. Mm. Um, I can't help but feel like Disney knew that. (laughs) 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 Can't help but feel like they were like, we'll just take that. Not that it, like, changed Dom DeLuise's... um, allegiances because then the very next year he uh is in all dogs go to heaven so like yeah i don't think that he is in land before time though so which is what released at the same time as this movie mm. so um but yeah dom deluise is in there he's very dom deluise yeah mm-hmm. which is generally enjoyable but yeah he's very much what you would expect and who was uh DeSoto, the Dobermans, and the Sykes's car had a, a vanity plate that said Doberman 
And that was stupid. <laughs> uh, Roscoe and DeSoto are voiced by Torian Black and Carl Weintraub. Mm-hmm. I don't know them. But. Who played the... Who Sykes played? is Robert Logia or Logia. What about Oliver? That's a Lawrence. Joey Lawrence. Mm. He's a baby. He's yeah. Little, he's little. Yeah. <laughs> I picture him as older, but it, it's like, that's a child's voice. And it's like, oh, I guess he was a child at one point. <laughs> Any other ones that you need to ask me about? I guess not. All right. Let's talk some about animation. Uh, George Scribner borrowed a technique from Lady in the Tramp uh, by uh, blocking out the scenes on real streets and then photographing them with cameras mounted 18 inches off the ground. In this way, the animators would use the photos as templates to provide a real dog eyes view of the action. Eleven minutes of the film used computer-assisted imagery, such as the skyscrapers, taxi cabs, trains, Fagin's scooter cart, and the climactic subway chase. Some of those things melded well, some of them did not. Yep. <laughs> it just kind of varied, but also something that we talked a little bit about watching the uh, documentary. They talk in particular about the scene during Georgette's song where she's going down a staircase and they make the staircase area that she's in uh, CG so that they don't have to draw all that and, and can just focus on her shifting as, as the angle moves. Yeah, it's the, the camera angles. They do yeah. really interesting point of view that just follows her. So the room is the thing that is moving. Yeah, and when we watch the movie, the CGI of that part really kind of leaps out and is is kind of glaring and ugly. Watching it on the kind of degraded 80s footage of this behind-the-scenes thing, it looked fine. And I think that's something to always take into account with the CG stuff. In, from from it, that time. Yeah, is just that, like, we're seeing it clisp and, and clean in a way that it wasn't necessarily always viewed back in the day. So it jumps out more. Um, so At one point, Oliver did the little cat grooming thing. Yes. Yes. That was so cute. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the animal movements were really cute. Like, the dancing was cute. Yeah, like, it wasn't... I wasn't... I don't think I was ever like, that doesn't look like an animal or like a cat yeah, movement yeah. or something. Like, they felt... Fluid and especially compared to Pluto in the 1931 short that we just watched. <laughs> That's unfair, obviously. But <laughs> one thing that that jumped out at me, it was weird when Georgette, when she was having her big number, well, when she first came before she got on the staircase, but when she put on the outfit, and she came out to the balcony and all the dogs or neighborhood dogs and stuff started jumping in and then were like trying to climb the tree by her. It was weird because it the animation changed. It went some of the dogs all of a sudden that the animation got more simplistic and sketchy. Mm-hmm. It was really weird for a little bit there. And yeah. The animation's I, pretty inconsistent in this movie. Yeah. That but that it just really glared at me there because I mean literally yeah. the, the dogs kind of morphed into a sketch and it was yeah. strange. Not related, well, kind of related to that. I only caught two dog cameos. Pongo was really obvious uh, mm. in the uh, Rita song, was it? Or was it um, Why Should I Worry? Maybe. I think it was Why Should I Worry. Why Should I Worry. Pongo was in that, and I think you said that there were other I ones. think there was some uh, side characters from Lady and the Tramp and 101 Dalmatians at various points in there. 
And then I think I caught uh, Scooby-Doo in one of the photos on Georgette's. Like, like, not to where you can be like, oh, that's definitely Scooby-Doo and sue them. But, like, it's, it's pretty clearly Scooby-Doo. Yeah, it was like yes. his front face. And yeah. then I think It looked like he had buck teeth, though. So maybe it was one of the cousins. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Drippy-Doo. I don't know. I don't remember what his name is. But that was that was kind of delightful. Yes, definitely. They had they had fun with the animal cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, the part where they steal the sausage, and Oliver is in the sausage man's shirt, mm-hmm. and then jumps onto the hot dog cart, mm-hmm. and then jumps into a window of a partially built building. That how did he how? Because behind the hot dog cart man is a building that people live in. And on the other side of him is a street. But we cut directly from the hot dog cart to this building that this like partially built wall that then Dodger is in like a, a construction area. Yeah. And I feel like. Something was not animated <laughs> to get from point A to point B. Because uh, cause the hot dog guy also throws and, and a mustard hits that side of the building too. And I feel like there was like a shot or something of him chasing him mm. through the street or something that they just didn't animate or cut, but probably didn't animate. Yeah. And that's that one of the examples of why, like, this felt more like All Dogs Go to Heaven than I expected with stuff like that. Um, it barely ever looks like Dodger is singing during his song. It feels like the lip sync is just very off. Just very off. There's multiple parts during Georgette's song also, particularly, like, the two, like, stinger parts where she's, like, like does like a really sharp like thing where her mouth is like very much formed and it's like a second late there later than it should be i don't know why it's like this but it's kind of frustrating because i expect better from disney uh another reason that it feels like a don bluth thing no shade to don bluth i just don bluth stuff is messier and that's like a a feature and a bug of his stuff, but it's not a thing that I associate generally with Disney and the lip sync was bad in songs just all the time in this movie. And I, um, my guess is that it's something to do with like the production of the animation versus the song was maybe like not in the order or more concurrent than it should be. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the disconnect is, but it was very distracting for me personally. Uh, Fagin is a lot animation wise, just all the time. He's, he really, (laughs) it really feels like whoever was animating him was trying to imitate the Don Bluth style of just kind of over the top uh, Dom DeLuise characters because he's a lot constantly. Yeah. It's interesting. Also, the most frustrating thing for me with Fagin is that his nose goes in and out of being red. Please make a choice and stick to it. Sometimes it'll be like noticeably red and then most of the time it won't. And please make a choice and stick to it. Don't do a Peg Leg Pete situation in friggin' the 1980s. Choose if his nose is red or not and stick to it being red or not. Uh, It kept happening up through 
like maybe not in the final scene, but up through like Sykes confrontation and stuff towards the end. It it kept being a problem. It's very frustrating. Didn't notice. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> the one thing I did notice was in the beginning when Oliver was in the box and was like swept away. At times the 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 size of the sidewalk felt smaller or larger. It, like his size and how he l- exists in the world felt inconsistent to me. Yeah. Mm. How big is he compared to this tire? Sometimes he looks super tiny, and other times not so much. It's weird. Yeah. What would this movie have been like if it were live action? Why would you do that? <laughs> For one, I don't know why you would remake this movie because it's a very 80s sort of film in a lot of ways. But for two, it's just like, I know that they did remake Lady and Tramp and the Tramp in in live action. But it makes sense if you're going to do it like 101 Dalmatians in the 90s did it. If you're basically going to make Home Alone with dogs, where the dogs are less characters and more just like sources of mischief to like hurt the bumbling goons. But if they're characters, why is it live action then? It's just going to feel, I mean, it's just going to feel like all the other live action dog movies. Like they're just... It's just like real life footage of a dog and then you make their mouth flap. And I just don't get the appeal of that, I guess. Yeah. I know there is an appeal. I don't get it. But. I, I think it would be tough to translate the the energies that the dogs currently have in terms of like Dodger's kind of suaveness and like being able to like backward step onto a moving vehicle. I think you're going to I think it would, what you would have the most trouble with uh, outside of just doing making the animal CG all the time, which is going to look stupid, is like, yeah, they interact with stuff in New York a lot in like dangerous ways <laughs> that you couldn't just like record a real animal doing. Yeah, it's like, do you want to have all these co- dogs hop on top of cars and like be in the tube? construction stuff singing and then without really getting into spoilers a lot of the end action is kind of really over the top um in a way that's like not gonna translate to live action you're gonna have to choose a sort of different way to do that yeah i think there'd be a lot of translation but yeah this is a very 80s thing i so it feels it would feel very different if you're gonna remake it because presumably you would then try to make it modern for the time in which you make it, which is like making a thing super modern is always going to make it feel dated like 10 mm-hmm. years from then. Um, I also don't think you're going to be able to translate the dog personalities in a live it'd action. It'd be harder. I just, I just don't think you're going to get it. I mean, sure, you can have dogs, the different breeds that are the same kind of dogs, but you're not going to, again, be able to get the distinct personalities like you, you yeah. can in animation. I, I mean, you potentially can, but it's just you're going to have to read more into the dialogue, I think, because if, especially if it's like the live action dogs and they just like, cg their lips moving or whatever there's not as much expression in like their faces and stuff obviously so you'll have to rely more on the vocal performances which are generally pretty strong in this movie so if you got similarly strong voice actors like eh, kind of but i think one thing that would be uh harder is having to decide on whether the dogs talk or not in 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 which cases. So, like, in this animated film, it was pretty easy to see, okay, they're not talking when Fagin is there. 
But if they start talking in CG in like a live action world, you'll it will feel like they are just talking. That transition between when the dogs talk and when they're just dogs in the world. I mean, don't they do that in like cats and dogs and stuff though? Maybe. You can do it. It's I gonna. Think, I think in that one though, that's part of the film. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, we think they're cats, but they're right. really these secret agents, and they can talk. I think if they yeah, were the, to the, talk like, to a person, yeah, that is feasible within the world. Yeah, yeah. But in this, I think it's like you have the dog world where they are talking to each other, and like presumably they would. This is just how they communicate, and it would come out as barks and meows to a person who can see them. Yeah. I I think, and, and the fact that they would be talking, again, a live action thing is way more grounded. So the mm-hmm. fact that they would be talking in live action, and in a live action world, would feel like they are talking in the live action world and not something separate. Yeah. I'm curious how, curious how the live action lady in the Tramp does it. Uh, that's a good point. I don't know. We haven't seen it. Yeah. We can see. Um, anyways, you could do it. I'm not entirely sure why you would or what it would really bring to it. But, like, I guess you could just, it would feel different, especially if you're trying to make it modern in the way that this was modern in the 1980s. Let's go on to sound design. Did the dogs would all have cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to sound design. Lots of saxophone. Yes. Jeffrey Katzenberg had the idea to bring in popular singer-songwriters, each of whom would contribute a song to the film, which is pretty much what happened. Um, At the suggestion of his friend David Geffen, Katzenberg brought in lyricist Howard Ashman, who composed the song Once Upon a Time in New York City. So that opening song was uh, composed, and the lyrics were by Howard Ashman, who would then go on to, of course... Uh, along with his uh, partner, Alan Minken, uh, do the music for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, or at least some of Aladdin before uh, Howard Ashman passed. Um, so yeah, this is this is where he got brought into Disney, and he leaves a, a huge mark on it in his relatively brief tenure there. Yeah, that's like historical. Yeah, definitely. Um, And if I think too terribly much about that, I will get emotional. So we'll move on from that point. (laughs) Um, I I like the opening song. It's it's very 80s, kind of cheesy, but I don't know. It worked. It worked well for me. It worked well for better for me in context than listening to it by itself. But like, it was fine. Like, yeah, it worked. It worked with it. Um... I think the songs in here are generally pretty fun. Uh, they're not, besides Why Should I Worry, they're not really, like, top tier. Um, Why Should I Worry is just such an earworm. Yeah. But, like, I think they're all relatively competent. They they get the job done. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed them. And the music itself is fine, too. I definitely heard some different uh, times where I could hear instrumental versions of songs playing. Um, in particular, they seem to do Once Upon a Time in New York City and uh, the whatever the song is that Jenny sings. I heard I heard instrumental versions of those uh, a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all decently done. Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? Before we super get into that, I don't know where else to put this. So let me talk a little bit about marketing. <laughs> I was wondering if that's where 
this is where it was going to be. I don't know where else to put it. So, Oliver and Company was the first Disney animated film to include real-world advertised products. More than 30 company logos and brand names were shown in the film, including Kodak, Dr. Scholl's, Sony, Diet Coke, Tab, McDonald's, Yamaha, Ryder, and USA Today. Mm -hmm. However, the filmmakers commented that this was done for realism, not for paid product placement, and that it would not be New York City without advertising which relatively fair. Uh, instead, Katzenberg urged the marketing campaign to focus on the classic Dickens novel and the pop score rather than, I guess... A companies? Uh, yeah, job. I don't know. Actual promotional tie-ins that they did have for this movie, though, included Sears, which produced and manufactured products with themes inspired from the film, and McDonald's, which sold Christmas musical ornaments based on Oliver and Dodger, and small finger puppets based on the characters in a Happy Meal. For its theatrical That's re-release funny. in 1996, the film was accompanied with a promotional campaign by Burger King. Mm. Okay. So, They're like, we didn't make it in the film, but I guess <laughs> we'll advertise this. Right. Yes, it was really distracting for me. <laughs> uh, I didn't really pay that much attention to it personally, but... I, I, didn't, I didn't really... <laughs> Sorry for your loss, babe. Yeah, I'm like, is that the real word Yamaha in there? Yes, oh, it sure is. This is just fully... Okay, there's Tab. Okay. Oh, there's just a McDonald's on this corner. Uh-huh. All right, all right. It's New York, babe. And then one of the... Uh, the uh, things that they they brought in for for Fagan was like a GMC. No, that was a gift for Jenny. It was a GMC hubcap. So quality stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as actual how's it hold up stuff, I don't. So Roscoe has a black voice actor, and at one point Rita said, "Go back to your master to him," and that just kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Yeah, you know, especially what? since I... Rita is also voiced by a black woman, so it's kind of like you made a black person say that to another black person. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> catch that, but when you put it like that, that's actually really horrifying. Yeah, it's kind of, oh, yeah. it's kind of like maybe we didn't need to do that especially since that wasn't really even like a plot point like there wasn't like a later point where like roscoe like seemed to bemoan being told what to do or anything yeah so it's kind of like the the conflict of of sykes wanting him to do something or not do something yeah and him wanting the opposite in fact totally unnecessary this is spoilers but uh, vaguely you know how disney villains don't tend to be alive at the end of the movie that's true with these ones and like roscoe's the first one to go and he doesn't like have any like big moments or anything yeah (laughs) so it's kind of like he's such a non-character even though he has a pretty big amount of character in his introductory scene but then it's like why would you say that That's, in particular? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah, at the no, time no. I was like, I guess he's in a more controlled environment versus they like their owner or whatever. Yeah, that's that's very But if you think about it, but if you think about it, they are doing things or their owner also tells them to do things. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, but it's it not really been... explored. Yeah, and no, the wording is very poor given like the whole context. Roscoe in particular feels pretty like he's he feels like he's coded to be black. Like both of them kind of do, but I don't believe uh DeSoto's voice actor is black. But yeah, like 
making that your villain and then having your yeah it's just don't use that line probably yeah no probably don't do that no i was gonna say because i'm just saying there wasn't enough of a clear cut you know we both have people you know we both have human owners that tell us what to do yeah it didn't go anywhere right and yeah she's definitely like at first I, I wouldn't say she's coded black or whatever for Rita until her intro line for her song. And I was like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. Both her her talking and singing voice actresses, it's two different people, uh, are black. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. That's a really good point. Though, yeah, I guess also with Cheech Marin's character, Tito. Yeah. I didn't... Th- I don't know. Like... It generally felt funny to me. You know, the main time where anything felt racist was that documentary yes. where he talked about Cheech Marin's uh, special spice that he brought to the role. Yeah, I think he said Latin spice or something like that. La- maybe Latin special spice because I think he had the the alliteration also. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. So, something like that. <laughs> I was like, I didn't need that. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> In the but film, no, I though, generally found... Tito to be quite enjoyable. Yeah, like the whole... He's one of the more easily quotable characters, definitely. Yeah, when the uh, Oliver, like, scratched or or swept at his nose, he was like, it's an alien. I thought that was funny. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm Hispanic, by the way. (laughs) I don't know if you know that. I have no idea if we've talked about that before. Um, I'm not to say that I think it's fine, therefore it's fine. I'm just saying, for me, I found it funny. So, I, I, I would... I was prepared to be uncomfortable and I wasn't. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't like that the animators made it look like Georgette has boobs with her fluff at one point. Yes. That was uncomfortable. Stop trying to make the dog sexy. And I mean, I also kind of get that like the whole point of the song is that she's feeling herself and thinks she's really hot. But then you also have like actual birds like fawning over her, which is weird. So yeah. yeah like she could have fluffed her ears or something. Maybe like, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't like that either. Yeah. I also didn't like her, like, you know, again, her different laying on her bed, the way she sprawled out. And then I liked even, that. Cause it and, felt very dramatic. It's like, Oh yeah. To but, lay out. But no, there was some different, there were just some poses there were some that shots. she did that yeah, yeah, were yeah. Un- uncomfortable. And then even some of the shots, like when she was doing the exercise, lifting up her legs and stuff. It was I just, found that funny. It was just too, I mean. I found it funny just because it made me think of, yeah, like 80s exercise videos yeah, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, she definitely. I just didn't like how they sexualized. When they sexualize dogs, very uncomfortable. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, when you say sexualize dogs, that makes me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Anything else with this section? Let's go on to... Spoiler alert. Don't put that in the end. <laughs> you, you just replace it completely with that. Please don't. <laughs> um. Skip to... One hour, ten minutes, and fifty seconds. All right, so um, I I have two main things that I noted that I want to talk about, which is, one, I like Georgette a lot, but I do not feel like her actually wanting to go along and being helpful in the finale made any sense. 
because why would she do that? I get that she was dragged along initially by her owner, but then after that, when they go and are like trying to rescue her owner, I never got the sense she cared. And so it just feels weird that she's in on this rescue mission and like actively like doing things and wanting to help and just melding with this like rough crew or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels like there was like a transitory step that is just not there to get to that point. And so it makes it just kind of feel unearned. And, and I, I feel kind of similarly about her and Tito's romance, even though I overall was pretty amused by that. Yeah. And I think what the first part where you're saying it's just fully, uh, it feels like it's done or thinking about it at the expense of Rita. And it's like, could, could they have like teamed up somehow? Cause I agree that I want Rita and Georgette to speak to each other. <laughs> truly. Yeah. Like how do they feel? Right. <laughs> I mean, Rita just becomes nothing as the movie goes on. Yeah. It's mostly Georgette talking to Tito. Like she doesn't really interact with Francis or Einstein. No, not really. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I wish that they would. And talk then since more. we're talking about their romance, I find the end of it pretty. Yeah, I'll bleep that. But like, <laughs> I find the like, oh no, my woman that I've been obsessed with is oppressive. I'm gonna run away. Like, it's it's a very straight joke, is what I'll say. Yeah, but not. I was into it when they were actually getting into each other, but then ending that way is unpleasant. I was just saying with Georgette, it does make sense that she would at least go with them. Yeah. Because where else would she be? Go home? I don't know. But like, even even just having a thing where she's like, where she's like, I don't know, I'm going to go and get what's his face and he's going to call the cops or whatever. And then they're like, how are you even going to get home? And like any sort of thing to kind of transition, because it seems especially given how like full of herself and talkative that she is, that she kind of just goes from my person is kidnapped to I'm helping rescue her and doesn't say anything the like the whole time until she's making like one liners as she's doing stuff yeah. is like, it feels like something's missing. Uh, yeah. Especially I agree. Cause I don't Cause think we like- even, do we even see a reaction from her that her owner's taken? Like I don't think we do. It's, it goes it goes so fast. It does. And it and you really don't it doesn't feel like any singular person gets much except yeah. for maybe Penny being is it Penny? Tito gets some stuff. What's her name? Jenny. Jenny. I said Penny. That's Penny is is all is is Rescuers. Thank Rescuers. you. Yeah. Yes. Um And way better. <laughs> <laughs> Penny's so good. Yes. Um when Jenny yeah, because Jenny's kidnapped. A possible thing could have been like they go off to go save her. And then she's like, wait, don't leave me here. And she yeah, at least follows. Exactly. Like the fact that she just doesn't say anything. And, and then like the transition from her outfit, her rain outfit to like no outfit. Could yeah. have been a chance for like a stepping up into something where like maybe they're pulling on her outfit or something gets caught. And she has to, uh, same with Dodger's necktie where he slips out of it. So that he doesn't get pulled off the side of the car or the something? I don't know. Yeah, remember. it's the car. Uh, something similar with her. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It was very weak for just to have her shoehorned in there. Yeah. And then, again, like we've already said, like, Rita just becoming, like, in the beginning, she kind of, like, 
clearly has some character definition to her. And then after Streets of Gold, I don't remember a single thing that she ever does. Like She's just there with an ensemble. She basically becomes a second Einstein in terms of like a character who is nothing and is just there. Yeah, she's like, we shouldn't have taken him. Should we take him? We shouldn't have. Yeah. And then that's, that's it. And she's like, oh, Dodger and them are getting along and... That's it. Um, Why would we believe for even a moment that Oliver was dead? We just saw Sykes throw him. We didn't see him, like, hit against anything or almost fall at anything. We just see Sykes throw him, and then Sykes gets decimated. And then we see Dodger just, like, come up, and he has Oliver, and Oliver's asleep. I don't know. Like, Oliver's just there. I don't know why I would believe he's dead. Well... Honestly, animals can have heart attacks. And Mom, whatever. and ferrets. No, no, ferrets, no, for example. no, no. I am not a 10 year old watching this movie and thinking, what if he just had a heart attack? That happens to animals all the time. What are you talking about? That really does happen. Think about what you're saying and think about the audience watching this movie and their general knowledge level. Okay. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Please stop being absurd. <laughs> That is not a thing that anyone watching this movie is thinking. Jeez. Honestly, you can make a nine lives joke there. Like you could. that's that's the level of the audience is at where they're like, that's only my first life of nine. Yeah. <laughs> they already said nine lives. They're before. just all like, oh no, they're so sad. And this is like one of the premiere for me, like but- things that sticks out in my memory as like just a boring as heck fake out death where I do not even for a moment believe it. And that was true as a child. I will say this, though. I, I I guess I'm a little bit curious as to why this bothered you so much. Because to me, it wasn't... The longest part of it, obviously, was a Dodger coming back with Oliver. Mm-hmm. But once, re, um, once the little girl, Jenny. Jenny, picks him up, I mean, it wasn't prolonged. I mean, then he almost immediately opened it his eyes. It was prolonged enough for us to get looks from multiple characters of sadness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, for her to pick when, him up. Yeah, primarily it's, when... when my issue with it him. is that it's a thing at all. Yeah. Okay. Like, Dodger just should have come with... Oliver and Oliver's fine and then she's she like picks him up and she's happy like the fact that there was a death fake out was what I have problem with because it wasn't there wasn't any reason for anyone to think that he was dead like you have to like emphasize a character being in harm's way and getting like knocked out or injured or something to then maybe believe that they are so hurt that they are dead. But we literally, the last time that we saw Oliver before that was Sykes grabbing him and throwing him. And then Sykes gets destroyed by a train. Well, another thing. And we don't see where Oliver goes or anything. So it's, there's like a question mark there, but there's not like a sense of worry because in fact, what you feel in that scene is, oh, good, he's not getting hit by the train. Like, you get the understanding that he was just thrown out of danger's way, not, oh, no, what happened to him? You know? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Like, you need to make it clear that him being in jeopardy is even a possibility before you can do a death fake out. Well, the other thing that I find that stretches belief too much a lot of the is, ending. Well, a lot of the ending. <laughs> a lot of the ending and with the car going down like the subway yeah. and all of that. Yeah, and even agreed. too is it with this big rich guy to put that much effort 
and wreck his car and and, and I mean risk I think part of the thing is that we this don't one kidnapping is, it's not is clear how rich he is because he's like working in a warehouse that seems abandoned and like we never see anyone working for him so like his character's muddled in that he is a loan shark but we don't really get a good sense of where he's at yeah. he yeah. cares about his car definitely he has a little model of it for some reason but like theoretically that's all he has but then he gets so anger crazed that he is like wrecking it trying to chase them he like does the stick and like breaks it because he's so mad yeah i guess all of that it just doesn't make sense to me that he's yeah he's very muddled yeah yeah i think that is one of the biggest things that show the weakness of the character because i because i do like i do like that ending thing with him like i like the energy of him being like I am going to get these guys. And he's doing a stupid thing with his car. And he's like driving his car so recklessly that he's wrecking it even from the inside. Like I, on a basic level, enjoy the energy of that. But like, it doesn't necessarily make any sense with the character that I've seen so far because nothing about the character really completely gels into a whole. Yeah. It's at you. You just are asking why you're like, why? Yeah. Why is he doing this? Yeah. And then, of course, you're going to get hit by a train, dude. You're on train tracks. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that was always going to be the end of that for you. I don't know what you thought was going to happen. Anyways, anything else with spoilers? Uh, I thought that the ending scene where they're all in her house was very trite and not believable that the butler guy would let the stinky man into the house and be friends with him in any way. Unless it's like you rescued her, even though... That was the other thing. The guy Nothing. Who, no scenes. The guy trying to call Winston and he's like, you need to put me through to her dad. It has to do with Jenny. And Winston being like, no, no. Assumedly. Because, yeah, we don't know. We just he hear one side. But check on Jenny as like, is he not concerned that she is missing for in the middle of the night? It's all very muddled and confused. Yeah. Is the thing. Not it's not like an this all dogs is- go to heaven thing where they're just like legit feels like there is a key scene that would make things make sense missing, but there is a lot of little things that make it feel like the flow could make way more sense than yeah. it does. This is early draft. Yeah. You, you needed a couple more rounds. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Anything else to spoilers? No more spoilers. Let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite scene in the movie? And if it's in spoilers, be vague. I'm going to say for me was uh, the Georgette's uh, singing number where she comes out on the balcony because that's where I noticed the animation that just got so distorted and and went to, um, you know, sketches and, and the, the dogs kind of morphed and it bothered me. Uh, my least favorite is the montage with uh, Jenny because it's supposed to be building an emotional connection between them and it falls completely flat for me. Yeah, I guess I'd uh, agree with yours because I can't think of one that stands out awful to me. Yeah, because most of it's kind of like fine yeah, with yeah. some nice spots. Yeah. So yeah. What was your favorite scene in the movie? The montage with no, I'm just, <laughs> just You did. got me there. <laughs> My kind of joke. <laughs> I, I kind of, uh, I think maybe for me is when um, Oliver, uh, the Oliver's first night with the Dodger and everyone and them tucking in 
with them tucking all, you know, all the attention that the animals gave Fagin and then everyone going to their little beds and then Dodger getting in his special little bed and then little Oliver climbing in with them and, and, and Dodger looking at him and allowing it. And I just, I, that really was heartwarming. I think that's, that's pretty up there. I think my favorite though is when the group goes to Jenny's house and is just like, exploring all of it and bothering Georgette and Georgette's like, Oh wait, I can get rid of this thing. Just. Oh, and to the fake out scene, like when, when the Butler comes in and they, they morph in like the statue. That was hilarious. That was great. So yeah, I think that stuff. I think mine was whenever you meet the crew, the intro where, um, you see what they're bringing in. And Francis was like, or I get, I don't know who started it, Tito or Francis, but they were having their back and forth, and then it's like, okay, what? Who brought the food? Like in France, like Francis, what you get? And he was all sheepish, and that was a fun way to get different, their different personalities, even though it wasn't something that necessarily stuck through for all the characters through the film. Yeah, who was your least favorite character? Oliver. The reason is. Can you tell me anything about him other than he's cute and he's lonely? He's a cat. Uh huh. <laughs> Oliver is a nothing character, Aww. and it's is kind of okay in the beginning because he's getting to know these people, but then after a certain point, Oliver just doesn't do or say anything significant for like a good twenty minutes. <laughs> Um, and unfortunately that's true of multiple characters, but at least Rita had some times where she was interesting. At least Sykes is a little bit fun for me occasionally. Like Oliver's just nothing. And if I had to pick a second, it would be Jenny because she is one of the most boring child characters that's been in one of these Disney movies that's focused on animals. She's definitely below what's his face kid from Rescuers Down Under. She's definitely below Penny. Yeah, Penny's adorable. Like, yeah, but to she's be just fair, boring. to be fair, Oliver stood uh, had served a purpose. Whereas, right, I, but, for example, uh, yeah. Einstein, which really didn't. Einstein could have been taken. Einstein could have been from, cut the, from movie the movie, and and you wouldn't have noticed. And and it's not that I disliked Einstein, but they just never really had a very good purpose for him. Yeah, you whereas literally could have had Francis like go into the car and then go around in front of it and lay down. Like you yeah. didn't need like Einstein's yeah. one thing he does is hit the car and anyone could have done that. Well, right. So in that sense, I, Oliver is not my least favorite because I do feel like Oliver Lee served a purpose and he was, you know, but Oliver just annoyed me the most because he's so uninteresting and he is the main character. Yeah. And again, except, that's the right. Except writing. like halfway through the movie, it starts to kind of not even feel like he's the main character, even though he's supposed to be. And that's not poor Oliver's fault. No, I'm just teasing. He's not. <laughs> no, it's the writer's was, fault. No, I, know, I know. I was just going to tease. Like if he was a real actor, you'd be like, well, well he's not. He did the best he could with what they gave him. Joey <laughs> Lawrence is fine. <laughs> no, I know. Did you say your least favorite? No, I don't think either of you have. Oh no, I. Uh, well, no, I guess I will. You just say, defended all. I of guess her. no, but I. But I guess I'm going to say Einstein just because yeah. Einstein is the one character that like that I, I. You know, yeah, and and never had a real big part. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
I'm going to say uh, Sykes because a lot of his motivation didn't make sense to me. I mm-hmm. thought it was very silly that they had to have him be on a phone call being menacing to kind of set uh, set this ominous tone because you didn't really know anything about him. Uh, it could have probably been interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, with with Oliver, I agree a lot of stuff happened to him versus him doing a lot. And they probably could have done more with this character to be more active, especially near the end. He, he's the other thing he did was scratch at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, I think Sykes for me. What was your least favorite song in the movie? The songs are once upon a time in New York city that opens the movie. Why should I worry streets of gold, which is what Rita starts singing and they sing together. Perfect. It isn't easy, which is Georgette's song and good company, which is a song Jenny sings and they have a montage about love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to probably go with streets of gold. Cause that's one of the more forgettable ones. I can, I, I, like the uh, Jenny's is, is simple enough that you can kind of he- hear a couple parts of it and just repeat the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's used the in the score a lot. Uh, so yeah, Streets of Gold. I was actually going to say the same thing, Streets of Gold for me. I think so. Yeah, I I like it fine enough as a song. Like it's relatively catchy and stuff, but it's just, yeah, it's the most forgettable. Like Once Upon a Time in New York City like has this whole long montage. Like You hear a bunch of it, and then it comes up in the score a bunch. Why Should I Worry is the only song anyone remembers from the movie. Perfect Isn't Easy is like a just whole establishing number for Georgette as a character. And Good Company is kind of like, it's kind of trite, but it does have like a pretty easy melody to remember, and it's used in the score a bunch to kind of underline the relationship. So, eh. Which was your favorite song? Street Savoir Faire. <laughs> it's called Why Should I Worry? <laughs> That's how I know it in my head. <laughs> yeah, Why Should I Worry is my favorite too. You know, when they were talking about why they wanted to cast Billy Joel, they described him as having Street Savoir Faire, so. That's silly. Yes. <laughs> but yes, it's, ob- it's Why Should I Worry? Like, it's... It's a good song. That's the song that, like, if you think of Oliver and Company, you probably just think of that song. Like, that's... Yeah. I don't actually like the scene very much because Dodger's just being like a huge jerk the whole time. And like, I don't like find it too terribly engaging, but the song is super catchy. It's a good song. So. If Tim Curry were in this movie, who would he play? Sykes. Yeah. I was going to say either he or um, Winston or Fagan. No, who is the, um, the bulldog? Oh, Francis. No. Francis, which I love. Well, I know. I no. love Fra- Francis had Mm-mm. a good one, too, but Tim Curry could, could be really... Okay. Mm-mm. You can't replace Francis. No, you Francis can't. would have been... What was... What's his... Okay. What's his name? Winston or Fagan? Um, Roscoe Lee Brown did a great job he as did. Francis. He did. I just mean... I won't let you take this from him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> Plus, it's just like... It feels like he's going for like a... Wait. I'm like regal and like, I know things. And it's just... Tim Curry always kind of sounds like he's got a dirty little secret. You know what I'm saying? He sounds just a little bit, a little bit greasy. I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't work. He doesn't work for, for, you know, I don't like him for that one. Did we do favorite character? We didn't. I was going to ask about that. 
I thought because you trashed on Jenny. Yeah, we no, we didn't. Who's your favorite character? Francis. I loved him. I'm gonna have to go with Francis. I think it's Georgette. I really vibe with her drama energy. Yeah, but Uh, but I do love Francis a lot. Yeah, he. I I love Francis. I think my three favorites like are Georgette, Francis, and Tito. Like they were just the most fun throughout the movie. I would agree with that too. But yeah, but Francis won my heart. I I loved him. And then we already did Tim Curry because I messed this all up. Uh, we didn't. Oh, okay, yeah, but other than you trashed on my Tim Curry, I, I, I guess I would never. We don't have to add to it. I'll agree with y'all. With what? <laughs> Let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. Yeah, I guess the I'll, I'll steal your light. Recommend. I I don't dislike it. I enjoy parts of it, but you could probably take it or leave it. Uh, scoring wise. I I guess I'll go a 2.5. Okay. What are you guys going to do? Is that too low? <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I think I'm I'm in agreement with you. It definitely lightly recommend and maybe a 2.75. I don't I don't know if it would quite get to a 3 for me. Well, darn. The things that, that that are just making me waffle a little bit is I did like the music. I did like some of the characters, but the animation, you know, was not top notch to me. And then it was, nah, I'll stay with 2.75 and lightly recommend. I'll go 2.25. Ooh, I thought you were going to go high or mm-hmm. higher. Nope. I think it's not significantly better than all dogs go to heaven in the way that I kind of expected it to be. So I would probably rather watch all dogs go to heaven. That movie is just kind of objectively a little more broken. So this gets to be above that rating wise, but I'd probably rather watch the other one. Okay. Okay. Thank you all very much for listening. Yeah. Thank you. And happy 2022. Yeah. This is our, well, our first 2022 episode will be, a short, but then this is our first main episode. Yes. Well, and for, the, yeah, because people posters that just listen to the main, but who knows? How dare you listen to all, <laughs> everything we put out. Um, yeah. And join me also on Nana Critter for the, for Witcher 3. On Twitch. On Twitch. And you can also find me at Nana Critter on YouTube, but lo- I would love for you to join me for this new year. The year of Witcher 3. Yes. I don't know if it'll be the whole year. But anyways. <laughs> um, thank you all very much for listening. I have not figured out what we're watching next. So I cannot uh, vague at it. But it will be a non-Disney Western animated film. Okay. So. Right. Well, thank you all so much for thank joining us. Bye. 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 Love y'all. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 2790566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P. 
E-T-E-C-H dot com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. Not a must-see. Okay, no, that was the period where you don't even not say anything more. <laughs> That'll get cut. <laughs> Unless you put it at the end. That's the only thing. I think you have a lot of choices. Perfect. Probably want to catch that again, because you said clisp. Yeah. Nope. Yes, you did. Um, no, I'm going to leave it, is what I'm saying. Okay. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just not going to do it again. <laughs> We're just going to leave that. That'll be a little treat. Okay. (laughs) Well, a little treat for our listeners and who got someone out there just tallying all the times I mispronounced something. (laughs) I'm going to go through. I'm going to start to put these on YouTube. No. And then I'm going to listen through and put timestamps. Lisp. No. <laughs> Bay, don't track your wife. That's so much effort. That's a lot of effort, yes. You said no, but we didn't ask about Tim Curry. Is that later? I forgot. Oh, I, I don't know. Do you want to read this? Do you want to tell me? Do you want to tell me? I don't me have my glasses. Happened? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Why did you say no and then say it again? Uh, because I say the no spoilers thing. It helps me editing once. Oh, okay. To remember, like, oh, I need to do the spoiler stuff. Oh, that's why. When you said no, I thought, oh, is it Tim Curry now? No, it's not. Oh. Printed this out for you for a reason. I didn't have my glasses. <laughs> Literally been wearing the glasses the whole time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> ah! uh, <laughs> I love you so much.